Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. The big box media is in financial freefall. Job market figures continue to be twisted to political advantage. A bevy of new laws from the woke West Coast and Dr. Jordan Peterson faces the wrath of progressive opinion once more. What could possibly go wrong? Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's show, we'll discuss all the aforementioned topics and a whole lot more. I'd like to say a quick thank you to our listeners out on KACT on 1360 AM out of Andrews, Texas. Thanks for being part of the team. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. Winter has come for the big box media in the form of tanking stocks and market fears. With billions of dollars fleeing the industry, what machinations lurk behind the fourth estate bonfire of the vanities? Well, we're joined by Liberty Nation's economics editor, Andrew Moran, and host of the excellent Swamponomics, to figure out if wokeness killed the media star or whether something else is at play. Welcome back to the show, Andrew, and a happy new year to you. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy Festivus to all the Seinfeld fans. Oh, happy Festivus to all Seinfeld fans. Absolutely. It's Festivus for the rest of us. Now, give us the details, Andrew. How much money has evaporated and from which company specifically? Well, the, I mean, the overall market lost about, what, $2 trillion, $3 trillion over last year. But a lot of these companies, these big box media companies, you know, Comcast, Netflix, New York Times, they all lost billions of dollars last year. You see, you see the stock tickers. I made a chart for Liberty Nation highlighting, you know, 60% here, 30% here, 40% here. So it was really remarkable to see how much was lost over the last year based on, based on you know, considering previous years. You look, you look at Netflix as an example. Netflix was a Wall Street darling up until 2022. And mm. just last year, tanks 60, 70%, which is something I expected based on the fact of a rising rate environment would kill a company like uh, Netflix. Okay. So, I mean, clearly the, the media industry, it's been trending upwards for, for many years. Yeah, I mean, if you consider it over a longer period of time, compared to 20 years ago, compared to 10 years ago, the industry has exploded exponentially. But is this particular drop that it's now facing, is this reflected in other markets or is it just an outlier, do you think, specific to this industry genre? 
I mean, overall, I mean, unless you unless you invested in commodities or the U.S. dollar, you lost a lot of money in the, in the stock market of last year. But there but there are different factors influence the why why the media why the media and tech sector lost. I mean, of course, the big thing was the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. But when it comes to a company like uh, you know uh, New York Times, ad spe- the slowdown in ad spending has been a real killer for a lot of these companies. You know, they make a lot of their money based on companies you know advertising their products on the website. But you see a lot of the reports showing how there have been you know six consecutive declines and ad spending since uh, the spring and then a lot of the forecasts for the upcoming year in 2023 uh you know slow down in ad spending recession fears is, a, is another key factor so so a whole variety of why you're seeing these companies tank and why they're laying off thousands of workers so media industries are, are they particularly susceptible to to advertising revenue drops um yes. advertise spending drops because with, with something like Netflix for example it, it's not really that focused on advertising they get their the majority of their cash from subscription payments right yeah, but with Netflix, they're watching an ad-supported subscription model in the coming year. They're following a lot of the other companies who have adopted the the ad-supported model. You saw recently um, NBC Universal CEO. He was talking about this in, in a third quarter conference call, and he said that you know at this the 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 significant reduction ad spending has has decimated the company's uh, overall revenues, which is why not only did the the revenues fall short of their estimates in tw- in the third quarter, they the company slashed its estimates for the fourth. Fourth quarter, so that's going to be that's going to be a big, big part in uh, the coming year. But with Netflix, as I wrote it, in, you know, in 2019 before the pandemic, the biggest thing that would impact Netflix is a higher rate environment. Because you, you look at the, you look at their the balance sheet, they have they have about 18 billion dollars in debt with only a cash flow of about six billion dollars. That's a huge gap. For, Surely uh, the the Meghan Markle and Prince debt. Harry extravaganza has fixed that mere drop in the ocean. Well, you need a multi part series of you know of feeling sorry for Prince Harry, and then he's going to come. <laughs> Complain yeah. and moan and whine, and then say, "Oh, my life is so terrible because I lived in such opulence all my life." And then Meghan Markle will say, "Oh, my life is so terrible because I'm this millionaire who someone said a bad word in uh, Buckingham Palace one time." <laughs> so, Andrew, I think part of what I wanted to get into here was wondering how much the the companies uh, that control, so the, the the mega structures behind the companies, how much their individual decisions are affecting their market impact and thus their their revenue streams. So to me, and obviously I'm not an economist uh, and I don't play one on TV, but it, it seems to me that companies that are, are pushing more for the, the woke agendaism, it's not so much that peop- it's a case of go woke, go broke. It's a case that there are so many new companies entering the field that have this same far left progressive ideology uh, that it's being filtered. What was initially a good market share for people who like the the progressive output stuff, it's there's now more options for them to choose from. Their piece of the pie is getting smaller now. That's just my uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like armchair analysis. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, what's interesting to talk about options. One of the biggest things mm. I've read from market analysts for you know from Morningstar to Bloomberg is that a lot of them anticipated greater activity levels in the merger and acquisitions uh, realm in the big box media sectors. So you can have a lot of other corporations absorb you know a, a streaming a streaming firm, or you can have a lot of these streaming firms adopt you know purchase other content from other companies. Uh, you saw this. I mean, I don't I don't want to go too too deep into film history, but you saw this a lot in the 1950s, 1960s, where a lot of these smaller, surprisingly, uh, distributors or 
were, were production companies. They, they, they produced films that, you know, critically were great, but they lost a lot of money in the box office and they actually went bankrupt as, as a result. Mm-hmm. And they had to be absorbed by these larger uh, box office studios and therefore they bought all the content. But overall, when it comes to the woke content stuff, I mean, I've been asked this too. I mean, Jeff Charles asked me that question. How much does wokeness affect uh, the bottom line of these companies? It's hard to really to gouge. I mean, you could mm. make the correlation. You start seeing, you know, Netflix. Netflix had that, that, that Korean movie about this guy who, <laughs> who was pregnant. And then, and then, you know, interestingly enough, when that movie, you know, became, uh, was widespread, that's when you saw, that's when you saw the, 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 the bottom line of these companies falling. So I think, yeah, woke, I mean, people, people are sick and tired of being, you know, force fed this, this nonsense. But at the same time, I mean, people are staying home. I mean, here, okay, here's the thing. There's two things. So in the movie theater, the movie theater business has yet to recover fully from the pre-pandemic levels. People are, mm-hmm. but when people do go to the movie theater, they're choosing things like uh, Top Gun or the latest superhero movie. But for a lot of the smaller independent or even mid, but mid-budget films, they're going to these streaming services. They're going to Amazon, they're going to Netflix, going to whoever offers these products. So it's hard to really choose. It's hard to really to get to fathom, you know, does the woke content impact Netflix if people are staying home to watch Netflix to capture the latest, you know, uh, was that, was it? The Knives Out, that latest film, or or Avatar, you know those. The, so it's hard, it's hard to gouge how much it's impacting uh, the bottom line of these businesses. Yeah, I, I think part of it certainly is that, uh, that there's a certain amount of consumers who are turned off by the pervading sense of wokeness. But according to the these media companies themselves, that's only extremists that aren't on board with this kind of stuff. Surely what they're saying is it's a tiny element of the market that are being turned off. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, well, actually, you know, Bob Iger, he would probably agree with you. He, he, when he returned as CEO of Disney, he held that, uh, that, that powwow with, with staffers at the company. He said, you know what? We're going to be less vocal. We're going to be more considerate. We're not going to be focused so much. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but of course. we're not going to be focused on, on woke content and, you know, and transgenders having. And, you know, I don't know, whatever, you're wearing dog faces or something, <laughs> whatever the crazy nonsense the left is coming out. So, which has been happening at Disney for decades, of course, the, yeah, the wearing exactly. of dog I mean, faces. You, 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 yeah, exactly. You look at all the, all the progressive, you know, messaging that goes until these you know, latest Star Wars movies. But I, th- I think in the short term, Disney is probably going to try to probably try to tone down that type of content, produce more things like, I think, from Je- what Jeff tells me, things like Mandal- Mandalorian doesn't fall for that nonsense, or this latest Mandalorian prequel doesn't fall for this nonsense. You, you, you're, you're, you're saying words from your mouth that mean nothing to me, but I assume that yeah, these I mean, are like I, I, Disney yeah, Star well, Wars products you're talking I'm, about. I'm going based on what Jeff told because Jeff Jeff yeah. Charles, our host of Right On, he, 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 yeah. he's, in, he's into these things. He knows more than I do about, about that kind of content. So I'm quoting from what he says. Fair enough, Andrew. Fair enough. We, we won't take away your cinephile bona fides. Uh, Andrew Moran will be right back with Andrew after this short break, busting the 2023 labor market myths. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Since Joe Biden took office, the economy, despite the protestations of the legacy media, has been in what seems a terminal decline, except for one metric, the jobs market. And yet this oft-touted rubric may not be as clear-cut as the administration would have us believe. Uh, We're back with economics editor Andrew Moran to sort some facts from some fiction. Now tell me, Andrew, we've heard so much about how epic the job numbers are under Joe Biden, but it seems to me that there's a, a number of, let's call them, inconsistencies. What's your take? 
Well, first, my apologies to our listeners who have to deal with me for another about 10 minutes. But when it comes to the uh, to the labor market, yeah, I mean, this has been really fascinating to dive deeper into the numbers to show how the headline figures are very different from what's beneath the surface. And I've been trying to find why there's such discrepancies between what's being reported on and you know what you see elsewhere in the economy. So the biggest thing right now is the divergence between the establishment and the household survey. Mm-hmm. Now, the establishment survey is based on you know serving businesses and the household is based, based on serving households, of course. But the big gap gap between them is that establishment surveys, they account for you know multiple jobs. So if one person has three jobs, that counts three jobs. But the household, if you're interviewing somebody who has three jobs, that only counts as one payroll. So as a result of this, as of the latest number is, in, of course, in December is the November jobs report. Uh, the diversion is about 2.6 million, which is massive. And then uh, what's it, what's even further interesting is that the, the Philadelphia, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, it published a report talking about how between uh, March and June or July, the 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 Bureau of Labor Statistics over overcounted by 1.1 million jobs. So that so that's about if you count as a whole year, that counts at least 10 percent of the 10 million jobs uh, that's been created. So and that's just from March to July. I mean, you you think of what happens in January, February, and then yeah. after that from you know, the rest of the rest of the year. That, yeah, se- seasonal layoffs as well, uh, January, February. Let, let's just reiterate those numbers again, uh, just to make sure we've got this completely clear. So you have an industry number that says that there are 2.65 million more people employed than the household survey says, right? Yes, yes, correct. Okay, so when we hear the numbers from the White House, are they using the industry numbers or the household numbers? They're using, yeah, they're using the industry numbers. They use the headline figure, which, of course, I mean, you can't believe the White House. Every White House, every administration, of course, does. Everyone, yeah. Everyone points to the to the headline figure. The mainstream media does it too. The business investors, everyone does it. But the reality is, then, so when we think about in, in real terms, uh, casting aside the the jargon, when we think about the number of people in jobs, that has been overcounted for the entire year by more than 2 million people. Is that correct? Yeah, so, yes, that's yeah. correct. If you look at the Philadelphia FedBank um, yeah. uh, report, it said the actual net jobs was about 10,500. So, I mean, that, that's a considerable gap from what the BLS has been reporting. And yeah, then, that, course, that's the me, 1 million figure, yeah? So 10,000 yes, yes. versus 1 million, yes. right? And then, but then you look at the other figures too. You look at the number of people who are working two or more jobs. That number has been gradually increasing since last year, and it stands today at 7.7 million. And then you look at all the other data points too. You look at the ADP employment report. It showed, for example, last month that there were that the manufacturing sector lost 100,000 jobs, but the BLS reported that there was a 12,000 job gain in that sector. These things don't add up. And they look at the private sector numbers. You look at the uh, the Challenger job cuts. That was 77,000 in November. You look at the uh, the PMIs, which keep showing slower employment growth or or loss in jobs. So there's something that doesn't add up between what the, what the BLS says and everything else. So I, I guess the question everybody wants to know is pretty much, let, let's say everybody across the media, uh, left, right, center, has acknowledged that the economy is struggling, obviously with inflation figures, with a... Uh, a recession, we'll, we, I'm doing a quotation marks there with my fingers, and we will get to the recession briefly mm-hmm. in a second, Andrew. But everybody's pretty much acknowledged that the, the economy's not in a great position. And yet you haven't had many people at all within the media uh, of, of any side talking about this discrepancy in the job numbers. Now, you'd think at least for the anti-Biden media, this would be a number that they would be 
singing from the rooftops. Uh, more people, more more conservative media. They are reporting on this discrepancy. Uh, mm-hmm. so even Senator Rick Scott of Florida, he came out with a press release asking the BLS why is there such a canyon size between the BLS between the, uh, the 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 numbers that BLS reported what's really happening. So I think gradually it's going on. The conservative websites are reporting on it. It's just yeah, I mean you know it's, it's labor data. It is labor data exciting? Is that going to attract headlines? I mean, you know. it, it is if it's uh, inflated to such a degree that uh, Joe Biden can coast through the midterms on the back of a stunning jobs economy. It's certainly an important number, wouldn't you say? But that's why I'm not the managing editor of a website like, like yourself. Okay, so Andrew, we, we've discussed the, the measurement metrics here being chopped and changed to benefit the party in power, whatever party that is, because as you say, all parties do it. Um, now, what I'd like to do is get a, a brief analysis on how this compares to the, the, the recession redefinition and inflation rubrics. So, I mean, I guess the first question is: inflation is it happening? Is it going to happen for twenty twenty three? Well, I mean, yeah, inflation is happening. I mean, just because you know the inflation rate goes from nine point one percent to seven point one percent doesn't mean inflation has been eradicated. Inflation is still going up, but at a slower pace, which is what nobody points out when the administration says, "Oh, inflation is going down," but it's still prices still rising. And that's <laughs> yeah. frustrating too. Uh, yeah, so inflation. I mean, it's going to go down to let's say five percent by the end of the year or four percent, but still, that's still higher. It's double than the Fed's two percent target rate. And will this lead to a recession, do you think, for 2023? Will anybody ever admit that a technical recession exists? Well, well, it's, uh, I think it was Fitch Ratings. I think it was Fitch Ratings who said the other day that there or ING there was a technical recession in the first mm. half of 2022. Yes, so there was a technical recession last year. This year, I think that actually there will be a recession, and some people are going to declare it as a recession. They can't hide from the fact all the metrics suggest that it's heading that way. And I don't know how you can redefine it or spin it. You know, I'm pretty sure the administration should be clever somehow turning it around. But well, you could say that the the jobs economy is doing really well, and there are lots of new jobs right oh no wait <laughs> <laughs> but i think what's important to point out one more thing before we go is the fact that the recession yeah it's going to happen but what happens after the recession which is what i'm really concerned about uh, my prognostication for the last few months has been that it's going to be returned to the obama economy where you have stagnating economic growth you know uh, elevated unemployment and you still have the and then we you had on top of that elevated inflation compared to what it was the pre-pandemic so i think that's the trifecta that's going to happen and that's what concerns me more than you know this blatant you know two quarters of economic growth. Do, do you think that, uh, I mean, I may be wrong on this, but isn't the Obama economy, isn't that akin to the Japanese lost decade? Isn't that pretty yes, much the yes. same thing? Yeah. So if you read my article that I wrote recently, I talked about how the U.S. economy would would be replicable to what happened with the lost decade of the 1990s in Japan, which many still say is happen is still going on to this day. You know, stagnating growth, a lot of zombie companies, too much debt, higher interest rates. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a blend of uh, it's a concoction of many uh, uh, negative factors that will not lead to you know ter- terrific economic growth in the United States. Okay, uh, final question. Very, very quick answer here, Andrew. Uh, what does all this economic data mean for the average American? Well, you're you're paying more, of course. You have a threat of losing your job. You know, there's the old phrase. You know, if my neighbor loses his job, it's a recession. If I lose my job, it's depression. So, I mean, uh, and then higher interest rates means higher debt payments. You know, higher cost of living. Uh, paying for everything's going to cost more. Uh, you know, you know, trying to find a job may be harder. So, yeah, the average person is not going to have a great time within in the coming years. 
a rosy outlook from economics editor, Mr. Andrew Moran. Thank you for kicking us off into this new year with a, a wonderful, cheery prognostication. Andrew, thanks ever so much for being here. Thank you, Andrew. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. With the new year comes a new bevy of laws uh, applicable across the United States and in individual states. Now, these laws, be they uh, extreme wokery or standard fare for the masses, we're here to find out with Scott DiCosenza, Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, host of the Excellent Uprising podcast, and general hero to all those who believe in liberty. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Well, with an intro like that, we can't go wrong, Mark. Happy New how Year. How I get and, people uh, in, Scott. It's good, it's to, how be, I get it's them good in. to be back with you. So, Scott, you wrote a great article on on the page of LibertyNation.com discussing some of the, the new laws that are coming in, uh, what, that came in on January 1st, 2023, as the clock struck the new year. And to me, Scott, it seems that a lot of these are engaged in wokery. Would you like to give us a brief overview of what you think are the more liberty-sucking laws? Well, the most widespread of those is the minimum wage increases. I think it's uh, 26 states plus the District of Columbia have uh, increases in minimum wage, uh, which, of course, for those of us who understand the free market, what that means is that's just a they, they've now raised the hurdle for people who uh, whose labor is not worth that minimum uh, and to, for them to say, you know, don't bother trying to join the labor markets. Just go kick rocks. Uh, we we don't want you in there. Uh, of course, that's under the guise of them being a champion for the little people. But of course, really, what it, if you think of who it hurts the most is it hurts the people who cannot, you know, wh- whose labor isn't worth that much. And of course, the best thing for those people in order to actually get their labor rate up would be to get some experience. Mm. Uh, you, you know, we, we think of, um, you know, the low skilled, perhaps um, if they can establish that they can show up on time, for instance, and, you know, uh, take direction well and perform their job duties. That's how people get above uh, the minimum wage, not by um, just decree, you know. Uh, and so the other sort of component about that that is just quite tragic is that there are, you know, some significant number of businesses and we won't know until maybe we look back next year this time to see um, what businesses that had to shut down because their uh, margins were so tight that they couldn't afford uh, to pay for, you know, uh, this increase in labor costs artificially imposed on them by the state. So for me, Scott, that's actually the biggest deal because uh, all countries are built uh, and work based on small business owners. They're the people in the communities who have, uh, for example, in in America, in in the East, you might call it uh, the bodegas, for example. So you have somebody who owns a bodega, and maybe they want to that they need to employ or, somebody. Or, so- or bogadas, if I was uh, Jill Biden. <laughs> Oh yeah, there you go. If you well, of course, you know, uh, as varied and diverse as breakfast tacos. Um, but so you've got these people and. 
they're, they're, they're struggling, right? Because By the way, small that's just a New York City struggle. thing. I hate to interrupt your flow. I, I know. I this is why I said it. the East. This is why it's, I said the yeah, East. Yeah, but it's just New York and Philly and sure. Boston and D.C. Nobody says bodega. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So what you have is you have these small businesses and – Maybe they want to take somebody on because they're, they're getting old. Maybe they want to increase their business. But what about the people who are already working there as employees? So let's say, for example, just as an arbitrary figure, because obviously this is across 26 states, as you pointed out, um, and D.C. Uh, let's say somebody was on $8 an hour, and now they have to, pay, they have to be paid $16 an hour. And that's over an eight-hour day. That that's a significant chunk of change for an employer if they have one or two employees. It's probably not a hugely profitable business. Why is there no kind of grandfathering of this? Well, presumably, then people would just quit and go into a different, you know, a different job or quit and get rehired the next day. I think that the right way to think about that is is Mark. It's the businesses that actually are doing. You know, if you if you're to look at the world from the progressive mindset, who, who's a who's a better uh, employer? An employer that has no minimum wage jobs or vast numbers of minimum wage jobs. It's funny because they might say that the people with vast numbers of minimum wage jobs are the most exploitive. But for those of us who look at the free market, we can see and say, well, who's giving the least of us, the least skilled, the most opportunity is the people that that actually employ people at the minimum wage. And of course, the more that they have, right, the, on their on their books, on their on their employment roles, the more minimum wage employees they have, the harder they're getting to get hammered uh, by an imposition of an above market uh, rate imposed on them by the state. Well, you know, we uh, earlier in the show, we had Andrew Moran on talking about the inflated job numbers under Joe Biden from the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics with the industry job figures compared to the household job figures. And there's a discrepancy of over 2 million jobs there based on people who have more than one job. So you're talking people who, for example, they they do an Uber, but they also do deliveries at the same, like a ride share thing at the same time. And these people have numerous jobs to, to make their income, to make their lifestyle work. But the people who have don't have these like rideshare jobs or these uh, these app based jobs, and maybe they have a, a job in the morning. They go and do some cleaning here, and then they have a job in a restaurant on the evening. You know, in, in either side of uh, looking after their children, they're probably going to lose at least one of those jobs, right? Well, it stands the reason that you know it's not going to get better for them, Mark. It, it's going to get worse for them. Uh, you think of like um, supermarkets and restaurants, and these are the the kind of uh, companies that require lots of people and because they are willing to accept people without a lot of developed skills, they have the, the most of these things. Uh, and I just want to put it out there uh, th that what's going to accelerate the use of the, the, the increased use of self checks, self checkout mm -hmm. kiosks and uh, robotic, you know, burger flippers at the fast food restaurants, you know, this is the kind of thing that just accelerates uh, technology in order to eliminate human labor from the workforce to the extent possible. Uh, we haven't started talking about it yet, but California is a host of, you know, probably the worst of uh, uh, of all the states in terms of the, the sheer number of new laws and, and how they get their fingers into uh, the details of how businesses uh, conduct themselves. But you read the new laws and you think, why would anybody want to open a business there, right? I mean, even more, it's like the doubling down of it. Well, we've we've seen a number of businesses as well as people leave 
California over the last couple of years. Jeff Charles had an article on this on Liberty Nation recently. Uh, and the, the masses of people that are going, despite having a, a positive birth to death rate, death ratio, um, they're still losing uh, an inordinate amount of and people. And who do you think is leaving and who's staying? In other words, if you're an entrepreneur, right, and you want to work yeah. 100 hours a week in order to make your lot in life better and better for your progeny, would, would you be more inclined to stay in California to do that or go just about anywhere else? Just There's about anywhere else. As we know, Texas is becoming a burgeoning tech center yeah, for, the, uh, for, for the uber wealthy, the ones who want to make the, the businesses work. Now, let's, let's continue with California, Scott. Uh, to me, I, I was reading through uh, some of the the laws. Now, I don't have a, an in-depth understanding of what these laws would mean in practice, mm -hmm. but on a surface level, it seems that a vast majority of them were directed specifically at people with uh, what we now term favorable, immutable characteristics. Well, sure. So there's, <laughs> you know, so there's uh, the pink tax uh, elimination uh, effort, which is, for, for people who don't know, the pink tax is this allegation that um, if there are two products that are similarly situated uh, and one of them is appeals to women or designed to appeal to women, it may often cost more than the the one that's designed to appeal either uh, neutrally or to men. Uh, and that's why it's called the pink tax. So, for instance, if you sell razors for men mm. that are, uh, you know, uh, designed for them to shave their faces uh, versus uh, a woman's razor designed for leg shaving, for instance, but it's pink and pretty. And the man's one is just, you know, the cheap gray plastic that's that, you know, you, you now can't charge more for that, even if, by the way, the pink plastic costs more than the gray plastic. Right. So it, it can cost more in order to appeal to, uh, you know, mm. to the to the female uh, or self female identifying consumer. But no, no matter um, that's now going to be punishable by heavy fines in California. So once again, it's like if you want to sell something in California, you're opening yourself up to this increased level of not just regulation, but significant fineage, um, you know? Yeah. I mean, the alternative is for the consumer to, if they believe the products are essentially the same is for the, the more feminine consumer. How dare to you buy... suggest that the consumer can vote with their purchase in dollars and that it's not up to the California legislature to make things right and 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 damn I, those I, I know. taxers. I know. I'm, I'm I'm really holding back the cause of communism in California here. I know that, and uh, for that I'm deeply sorry. I will be having my struggle session later on. Uh, and what other laws stood out to you at the California unveiling on January first? Well, uh, two, I would say one of them is a sort of trans person um, uh, har uh, safe harboring, which while that may sound good in, uh, in, in, you know, at the headline level, what it means is that if you're a parent in, let's say, Virginia, for instance, and you have a child who is in the midst of a trans identity crisis, they can go to California and uh, California will no longer sort of recognize the out-of-state parents' um, legal rights in the matter. So if a Virginia court says, you know, uh, yeah, I see your face. Is, can uh, can you, can right, you yeah. spell trafficking, Scott? <laughs> it's, you know. <laughs> um, and then the other one is this um, uh, new regulation for doctors, whereby conservative doctors, Mark, who wish to be able to speak freely to their patients about uh, risks and rewards for, for instance, mRNA vaccines are now uh, thinking that uh, they're going to put their own medical licenses at risk because 
the governance, uh, you know, the establishment in California who controls the laws doesn't want any uh, back talk on, for instance, vaccines, right? And so what they've done is they said that a misinformation or disinformation uh, will now be punishable uh, under law. And instead of having medical boards just do that without the government's intervention, the legislature is coming in and saying, you know, this is this is what uh, is permissible for you to discuss with your uh, with your patients. And that's what the, um, you know, the kind of independent non uh, non woke doctors think of the new regulation. So um, it's not going to accrue to the benefit of uh, of uh, physician patient uh, communication in any regard. Presumably this uh, this discussion uh, in the Golden State on mRNA uh, gene therapies, I suppose they are rather than vaccines, I guess. Surely that's just one aspect of it, though, right? Once the the the, the government starts getting involved in uh, issues that you you as a doctor can discuss in confidentiality with your patient, uh, then surely it's not just going to be on one thing. Once that genie's been let out of the bottle, surely I think it will. As long as you represent to your patients whatever uh, progressive Twitter deems uh, acceptable information, you're going to be okay. That's a good guideline, I think, for physicians going forward uh, on the West Coast. Uh, who needs medical school when you have the California government? Okay, Scott DiCosenza will be right back with Scott after this short break discussing Jordan Peterson and the new Canadian struggle session. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Canadian provocateur and Professor Jordan B. Peterson is under fire. What for? Was he delving into malpractice? Was he mistreating patients? Or was he upsetting the governing body of his profession? We're joined again by Scott DiCosenza, a lawyer, not of Canadian law, I might point out, to speak to us about this particular threat to Dr. Peterson's profession and also about the growing trends in America. Scott, tell me what you know. So uh, some people on the internet complained about uh, Jordan Peterson to the, I think it was the Ontario College of uh, uh, Psychology. And uh, they have said to uh, Dr. Peterson that he must attend mandatory re-education classes for uh, social media. Um, uh, He says that it was about him uh, criticizing Pierre Trudeau, uh, Canada's prime minister. Justin Trudeau. Excuse me. Is his father's Pierre Trudeau? Is that right? Did yeah, I get that? Correct. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm not that old. Uh, I should. Have. Uh, and also for retweeting uh, uh, some other uh, some other Pierre, Pierre Polyver. I, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce it, but also yeah. a prominent uh, Canadian politician. Yes. And uh, there's no allegation that um, Dr. Peterson, uh, that from any of his patients or anybody close to his patients, uh, has complained. Uh, just some rando internet people that that this made them and 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 as he wrote it it wasn't even that it made those people feel bad or something else it was just that they recognized that those social media posts could make others uh in, in put others in uh in a bad spot and uh and so he's been summoned uh to undergo this re-education and he has said he will not do so um and is putting it to them uh i guess to you know, make the next move, but that he he will not uh, succumb to that pressure uh, and give up his free speech, which, of course, is sad because, as we know, in Canada, 
And uh, I think every other country except for the every, United States, every other no country thing is as, as a legal right to free speech. It's, it's something that, that so few people realize how lucky uh, Americans are to have. It ain't luck. Oh, no, of course, it, it isn't luck. Absolutely correct. Um, how fortunate that Americans are to have it uh, enshrined as a, as a right. Liberty, absolutely right. Mm. Yes, it's no I, joke. <laughs> it, it seems the most uh, illiberal taking of liberties uh that dodge peterson would have to undergo what it's quite simply it's a struggle session right uh for him to get away with this and this is presumably why he's not uh choosing not to engage with it is he would have to go along and admit fault for retweeting a canadian politician or for criticizing the the policies of the Which incumbent of course is how dr Minister. peterson got famous in the first place uh, it it is, is indeed. He refused to uh, kind of be compelled to to speak, and that's that's what you know. He said that um, uh, the the a new regulation required him to use someone's preferred pronouns. And while he said if someone asked him, you know, politely to use pronouns that he didn't understand or agree with, he would most likely just out of politeness go ahead and do so and honor their request. Uh, but that he would re he refused to be compelled to because, of course. When you control what somebody can say, then you can control what they think, which is why it's so important that we fight uh, with every ounce of our being to to keep that free speech right in America. We, we have seen this uh, almost compelled speech issue come to the Supreme Court of the United States, though, haven't we, with the, and I, I hate to use this particular, let's call it the gay bakery issue, or the, even though the, <laughs> yeah. the baker was obviously himself not gay. Um, but wasn't this yeah. a case of uh, individuals were suing to compel him to, and it was a speech case, even though it was obviously him not saying something to Baker, it was him having to produce something that is an, I guess that would come under as an element of speech, wouldn't it? We're waiting Mark now for the Supreme court to resolve a case of a website designer. Um, and that's sort of the redux of a redo of, of the, uh, masterpiece cake shop decision, which we never got a really clear answer on from the Supreme Court due to some, uh, basically they took a, a hard left, uh, uh, and that's not an ideological uh, uh, statement, I just mean exit stage, uh, whatever, uh, by not ruling on those contentious issues um, in the masterpiece cake shop case because Colorado authorities were so hostile to religion generally that they were able to rule without addressing that fundamental question, but we're, we're expecting to see them actually rule on it in the form of whether or not a, a person can advertise for uh, does wedding, uh, wedding website design services and also indicate that they don't wish to uh, design those services for people who, uh, who are engaged in same-sex marriage because of their sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, now we're going to have to see, but, uh, but that's, that's the pitting of it, whether it's, uh, whether it's compelled speech, uh, or not. And compelled speech has always been uh, uh, held to violate the First Amendment anytime it's been examined by the Supreme Court. So I, I don't think that the Supreme Court will say it's compelled speech and it's OK. What they may say is it's not compelled speech. It's some sort of other thing. Uh, and therefore, it is OK. But we're going to have to wait so, and see a bit. So do you expect a, a, no bright line ruling on this? You know, I have such a emotional and a professional interest in seeing a bright line rule. It's hard. Mm. It's hard for me to be objective on that point. Uh, and I suspect that um, uh, 
you know, the, the composition of the court today will likely uh, is more likely to result in a bright line rule that protects uh, the, the the speaker um, than than not. Scott Dickens, we will continue following this case and many others as Supreme Court session rolls on. Scott, thanks ever so much for being here. Thanks, Mark. And that's almost all we have time for on this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'd like to thank our guests, Andrew Moran and Scott DiCosenza, and extend my deep appreciation to you, the listeners, for taking the time to join us here. My parting shot for this week comes courtesy of noted author Gore Vidal. He said, quote, Of course, it is possible for any citizen with time to spare and a canny eye to work out what is actually going on. But for the many, there's not time. And the network news is the only news, even though it may not be news at all, but only a series of flashing fictions. End quote. I think we all understand this intuitively. We see fictions played out before us with dishonest voices pleading with us to disbelieve our own lying eyes. And if we do summon the strength and the critical thinking to refuse to not accept the narratives they present, we're deemed enemies. Perhaps the big box media is not looking for mere consumers, but converts to a cause with neither form, feature, nor fact. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.